Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Welcome back to the 20 Minute Scriptorian. I am Lori, and we are headed into Doctrine and Covenants 2 as part of Come Follow Me in January 2021. So let's jump in and get started. Now, as you recall, I was slightly having to change the format, not doing two a week, but more like two to three of these podcasts a month, mostly correlating to the weeks that you might be able to teach as a teacher rather than doing your own study. And that's just because, sadly, my time is a little bit at a premium since I went back to school and work is always busy. All right. So part of that that I want to jump into today, though, is Doctrine and Covenants 2 and part of Come Follow Me. Come Follow Me this week is Doctrine and Covenants 2 and... Joseph Smith History 1, verses 27 through 65. The hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. Now, part of the 20-minute scriptorium is we try to jump into the scriptures, a little bit of the scholarly part. I will not be able to get totally to Joseph Smith History today, so we're going to start with Doctrine and Covenants 2 and spend a little time in that, uh, that amazing first revelation given. So let's jump there now, and let's find out a little bit about what this is about, what in the world does it mean, and why is this the first thing out of Moroni's mouth when he comes and speaks to Joseph Smith. Let's jump there now. Now, section two is one of the first revelations that Joseph Smith receives really after we leave the first part of Joseph Smith history, as you know. So today, what I wanted to do is go into a little bit of that setting really quickly, and then we'll look at section two, and then we'll divide it up. So in the uh, book Saints, you'll find a bit of history about what was happening at this time. And what we remember, this is in the late part or the late part of the summer, September of 1823. So it's been three years since Joseph Smith has had his first vision. And he was, it says that he was uh, staying awake that night. He was in the loft of their home there with his brothers, and they had stayed up late with part of the family, and they had uh, discussing different churches and the doctrines that, y- that they taught. And now everyone was asleep. The house was quiet. And Joseph Smith, in the darkness there of his room, it says that he began to pray. And I love this next part, that, it, that this setting is that Joseph Smith isn't just praying to say, hey, I want to know what the next task is for me. Um, but he, just like the part of the first vision, he's going to find out about his, his own standing with the Lord. He wants remission of his sins. He wants to know how he's doing. Remember, he's very, he's very young um, as well, and so he is unsure of what to do next. So lots of things going on, but that night they had stayed up talking about different doctrines, he and his family, uh, his uh, parents as well. And so he's praying, though, to say, um, just to know what his standing is and maybe commune with the heavenly messenger, it says in the book of Saints. Wants to know also about the knowledge of the gospel that he'd been promised. What's next? And then I love that it says in the book of Saints that Joseph knew that God had answered his prayers before, and so he was sure that he would have an answer then. And then as he prayed, we have this great event. It says that a light appeared beside his bed, and it grew brighter until it filled the entire loft. Joseph looked up and saw an angel standing in the air. The angel wore a seamless white robe that came down to his wrists and ankles. 
light radiated from him and his face shone like lightning. At first Joseph was afraid, but peace soon filled him. The angel called him by name and introduced himself as Moroni. He said God had forgiven Joseph of his sins, and now he had work for him to do, and he declared that Joseph's name would be spoken for good and evil among all people. Moroni spoke of gold plates buried in a nearby hill, and then he went on to say these would be the plates and there would be stones that he would use to translate the record. Um, they'd be fastened together in a breastplate. More information there. We'll come back to that over and over. And then this very verse that we see in Doctrine and Covenants uh, 2 is referenced. It says, for the rest, the rest of the visit, Moroni quoted prophecies from the biblical books of Isaiah, Joel, Malachi, and Acts. The Lord was coming soon, he explained, and the human family would not fulfill the purpose of their creation unless God's ancient covenant was renewed first. Moroni said that God had chosen Joseph to renew the covenant and that if he chose to be faithful to God's commands, he would be the one to reveal the record on the plates. Then he explained how he's supposed to take care of the plates, and he wasn't supposed to uh, share some of this uh, information with people. Also, that he would be destroyed <laughs> if he disobeyed this counsel, and then he left. And then, of course, we, re we learn um, that the message is repeated again and again, uh, up to three times, and then later there's going to be a fourth, right? Um, and, and just really fascinating. So he also tells him that he can go ahead and tell his father. So that, uh, but anyway, interesting part of the story, right? Totally fascinating. There's tons and tons to study here. I want to turn to that section that we just highlighted that says that Moroni quoted prophecies from the biblical book of Isaiah, Joel, Malachi, and Acts, and that he would, the Lord was coming soon. And this is the part that really struck me. The human family would not fulfill the purpose of their creation unless God's ancient covenant was renewed first. And so that God had chosen Joseph to renew this covenant. So this is where we get this Doctrine and Covenants section 2. Let's read that. And, and just, it's super brief. And I know you know it, but here, here it is. Um, so this is, again, that September 21st, 1823. And um, Moroni is going to, to quote uh, parts of Malachi. And we're going to, uh, I want to also check out uh, Doctrine and Covenants 27.9 and Doctrine and Covenants 110. Because it's going to tie together. But here it is. Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Now, what do you think of first? You say, Lori, we've heard the scripture. We know the scripture. This is about temple work. And this is about sealing families together. That is true. You've hit it on the head. There's a lot more in this scripture as well. So let's dive in and see what we have. So we've gotten a little bit of this background. Joseph Smith's very young, maybe around 17. It's uh, September 21st. He and his family were discussing uh, the different doctrines. And Joseph Smith wanted to have his sins forgiven. But also, what, what was the next step? What was going what, what to happen in this restoration? And this is Moroni brings this message. Now, this is the first time he's met Moroni. We know Moroni from not only these stories, but from the great prophet that he was and in uh, the long line of prophets of the Book of Mormon. So we've kind of grown up with Moroni. But remember, this is the first time it, that he's ever heard of him and uh, would be pretty, pretty startling. Here's an angel in my room um, with my brothers in the loft. So pretty cool. 
But uh, here he is, and he's the first message that he's going to bring is this message that the priesthood is going to be restored. But also this before the Lord comes again, and this is what he's going to do. This is what the priesthood is going to do. Now, when we look back to Malachi, Malachi, uh, where most of the scripture comes from, Malachi is an interesting prophet because it's it's that prophet prophecy is written after the time of Moroni, or well, before the time of Moroni, but after the time that Lehi and and all of those folks would have left, and so they don't have this on any of the plates, whether it was you know the Mulekites or um, Jaredites or the certainly the Nephites and the plates of brass. So this this revelation given to Malachi is is later than than that 600 BC period. So this is an important scripture, but Joseph certainly has it in his Bible as well as quotes of it there in Acts. So he's he's going to know a little bit about this idea, but Moroni wouldn't have except that you know, he's an angel. So. So we have this interesting quote, but it also said that Moroni quoted other biblical books, Isaiah, Joel, um, Acts, and, and there's just something really fascinating going on here. Uh, in the scripture, Malachi, uh, just to start with him, is a prophet that is super interesting because of the way you think of the way the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures are written. It's like, well, it's the last scripture, and then you turn the page and you're right into Matthew. That's not how they're actually laid out, though, if you were Jewish or if they were chronological or if many of the other ways that they are organized. But Malachi is the last of these, uh, what they call the minor prophets, because not because they were less important, but because their books were shorter. So they have these uh, shorter prophets. And so Malachi serves as kind of a bridge between these ancient prophets, these older prophets, um, the, the prophets that you think of like Elijah, uh, way back when, and Elijah is old, old, old compared to Malachi's time. So he is a bridge between those old prophets, Elijah and him, but also he's serving as a bridge between the primary history, those first five books, the Moseses. So so he's serving as kind of a coda, and so he bridges not only the ancient history Moses, the ancient prophets Elijah, but now these minor prophets or these latter-day prophets in the period of the uh, Jewish exile. And so He's talking about coming into the first coming, right? Christ, the Savior, is going to be coming. The Messiah is going to be coming in the first coming. But a couple of things that we know about him, that he's, again, going to bridge the law and the prophets, Moses, who were represented by Moses and Elijah. And I want you to just put that in your head for a second. Wait, law, Moses, prophets, Elijah, and think, was there ever another time when Moses and Elijah show up to give the keys to someone? Okay, so hold on to that thought. But that's where Malachi is the bridge with those two. Um, it also says in Malachi 3, when he's a messenger of the covenant. Malachi is a messenger of the covenant. And if you read the book of Malachi, it'll take you about five minutes since it's so short. Um, you learn that he's in a time of great wickedness, and he's going to talk about a restoration of the covenant and the restoration of the priesthood and the priests themselves being fairly corrupt and them also... Uh, wanting to find new wives, which is a good symbol of the leaving the covenant, right? The covenant closeness of the bride and the bridegroom. But all prophets tend to be this messenger of the covenant. So that's kind of their main role. And so that's what his role was. So he's saying, hey, we have left the path. And one day, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the day when the Lord will come, will be great for some and dreadful for others. It's most often called the day of the Lord. But there is a reference of the great and dreadful day, Joel. And, he, and he's saying that is going to happen. The Lord's going to come. And that covenant must be restored. So 
say, hey, I'm a messenger of the covenant. The covenant could be restored. And we just learned that right there in the story of Moroni, right? Moroni saying that's what's going to happen. That's what Malachi's job was. So super fascinating to me. And I just love this, the symbolism and the parallel that we find between the Old Testament going into the New Testament. And again, the same idea coming into this restoration that this same thing. Now, you probably wouldn't say, hey, if you were going to be an angel and you were going to come to a, pro- a prophet of the restoration, what, what's the first scripture <laughs> you would use? But this, this is absolutely the right one saying the Lord is coming and we need to restore the covenant and we need to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We need to turn the children to the fathers, right? We need to turn back. We need to repent. We need to go back to the ways that the Lord has taught us. And that's what the Lord's coming. Now we just left the preface and the preface talks some about that, that doctrine covenants one, that the time is soon coming and the Lord with his his strong but tender, I'm coming to save you before this happens. I'm coming to protect and love and en- encompass you in my arms. And this is how he's going to do it. He's going to do it through covenants. He's going to do it by restoring the priesthood. And he's going to do it by bringing all of those same, the law, the prophets, Moses, and Elijah together. Pretty cool, right? Now, we've talked about covenants in the past, and everyone knows this one, right? Say, oh, it's a promise between two parties. One of the other things that I often think about with covenants is, yes, it's established by the Lord, and he sets these you know, duties and responsibilities on either side, but also blessings that will come, and potentially curses if you don't follow those covenants, things that will befall you if you don't follow your covenants, right? We don't often comment that because it seems so negative, but they're definitely there in the scriptures, whether it's uh, Deuteronomy 34 or wherever. Um, even in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, right, the woes. So those are kind of how those go. And one of the other things I think about covenants is one of the first covenants we see in the Old Testament is with um, Abraham and Abimelech. And that's where they had been fighting and they're trying to come up with a peace treaty. So one of the ways that I often think of covenants is by that example, that in a covenant it's how we're going to have two parties come to an agreement of peace, a treaty of sorts. And that's what's going to happen with all covenants, right? It's a way to bring peace and reconciliation and draw us closer to each other. In this case, us and the Lord. And that's what's going to be restored, the everlasting, new and everlasting covenant, or all of them. So the other thing that really jumps out, and you probably already saw this, right, is that he's saying about the law and the prophets and, and Moses and Elijah. And I asked a question earlier. When was the time when Moses and Elijah show up and restore the keys or bring the keys. The first place you should think of is the Mount of Transfiguration, right? When Christ and the three go up, there is uh, the there in, um, whether it's, um, let's see, Matthew, John, seven. We have a few. Let's go, let's go look at the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so we don't have a ton of time to review the Mount of Transfiguration, but we'll briefly remind us. Uh, a good place to find this is in Matthew 17. But it says that Jesus takes the the three, right, the um, presiding group there, Peter, James, and John, uh, and they go up to a high mountain apart, which is interesting, right? You immediately imagine the temple. We should be reminded of Sinai and Horeb, um, of Moriah, all the mountains, uh, Nephi, looking up to the mountain, the temple, where we go up and we meet God. And so it's very specific that it reminds us of that. But they go up to this high mountain, um, again, a mountain, uh, sometimes mountain garden, uh, Zion, temple, 
place where God, uh, heaven and earth meet. And it says that uh, Christ was, uh, verse 2 in Matthew 17, and was, is talking about Jesus taketh them, and then he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there was talking unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. There, well, there it is right there. So <laughs> he's transfigured. His, his body has to be purified enough or be in a place that he can meet with these heavenly beings. And so uh, we'll come back to that another day. But it says, and he's talking to two figures, Moses and Elijah, Moses and Elias. What, why those two? Well, we just did it. Those are the two, the first. Moses represents that first law. Now you're going to say, wait, wait. Lori, this is because they had to give the different keys. True, true. Also, also, that Moses is a representative of the law, the first five books, the basic fundamentals that they had to follow. And that's and so he's there to bring that portion together. Elijah is the prophet that brings the uh, prophets together, the rest of the teachings, these other things that go on. So Moses and Elijah, exactly what um, who is going to show up as well in section 110, which is going to be your next thing. After the Mount of Transfiguration, when they return, we're going to find them also come and bring back at the, uh, bring the keys back at the kind of second Mount Transfiguration at the temple in uh, later in section 110. But that's where they, uh, I love this. They said, Peter said unto Jesus, after they see all, Jesus, you know, just such an interesting story. Peter said, Lord, Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? Remember, if you were up on the mountain, unlike Sinai, they would potentially be destroyed, right? Because they weren't holy enough, that their their bodies weren't in a transfigurated state. So he, Moses, uh, Peter knows that. So Peter's like, "Are we? Oh, I don't think we should be here. Um, this was a place that you didn't enter. You didn't enter into the Holy of Holies, right? But here it is on the mountain. You're seeing kind of the presence of the Lord, the Holy of Holies, the Mount Sinai again. Is it good for us to be here? And, and if you want, we can make you three tabernacles, like the ancient tabernacle, a little house. We can make you a tent. We can make you a holy structure because I am seeing something amazing. Is that what we should do? One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Remember the cloud that descended on the um, the the Ark of the Covenant. It descended on the tabernacle. It descended on the temple. And that's going to descend again in section 110. When you get to section 110, you should open this again uh, Matthew 17 1 through 13 the Mount of Transfiguration Th they're coming and this is what this is what Moroni is promising is going to happen the same thing that happened anciently whether it was Moses whether it was Elijah on um, Mount Carmel whether it was Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration or what's going to come in section 110 but the prophets the covenant is going to be restored Anyway, this bright cloud comes exactly like it did anciently, the Shekinah, the uh, shadow by day, the pillar by night. And a voice comes out and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Wait, where have we heard that before? Last week in the first vision and at Jesus' baptism and when Christ ascended in third Nephi. Right? This is my beloved son. Hear him. Um, interesting, super interesting. Um, so, so, uh, and then it ends up, they fall on their faces. Oh, ah, this is crazy. And Jesus answers and says, Elias shall truly shall first come and restore all things. Elias or Elijah. Mm, uh, that's kind of the Greek form of the name Elijah. So Elijah shall first come and restore all things. 
And that's exactly what we hit in Doctrine and Covenants 2. Elijah is going to come and restore all things. And I say to you that Elias is come already and they knew him not, but have not done unto him whatever they listed. Speaking of another forerunner, John the Baptist. Um, and that's what it says. Sibles didn't catch that he was talking about John the Baptist. But we know, too, that we're going to see um, Joseph Smith as a form of this Elijah and the actual Elijah, uh, the same prophet from Mount Carmel that's going to come in section 110. This is just awesome and amazing and such a testimony builder for me. It's just such an amazing thing that is Joseph Smith is just so young, 17-ish, and he is sitting there saying, what do I do next? And the Lord ties the Old Testament, the New Testament, all of these prophecies of the Lord's going to return like he did in the first coming. He's going to be coming in the second coming, and he's going to be doing it in the exact same way. The promises that were given to Malachi, the promises given to Joel, Isaiah, they're going to be fulfilled. And it's all about the Lord restoring right relationship, coming back in covenant, coming back in covenant, establishing peace between us and him so that we can fulfill the measure of our creation. So awesome. This scripture deserves way more than we can do in 15 minutes, but I absolutely love the idea that the Lord is tying this back together, that he's reminding us of the promises that he made then are the same as the promises that he made now, and that the same methods, Moses, Elijah, Malachi, the messenger of the covenant, is coming back to return preparatory to the Lord's second coming. All right, scriptorians, I think we've done it. We did a little bit of the history. We then read section two. We jumped back to a little bit of Malachi, and now we've gone a little bit farther into section two. I hope that you can feel the excitement and the um, just the blending together, the bridging of all these scriptures and, and covenants and revelations as they come together in the restoration, as they continue to come together in our covenants. All right, scriptorians, that's it for this time. Keep on reading.